0: Good morning.
1: You're on Blog Talk Radio, radio TalkRadioExperts.com, with Attorney Vincent Davis. And today's show, our weekly Saturday morning show, is Get Your Kids Back Now. Uh, This is a show dedicated to helping people, giving information, taking calls uh, from people who might have questions or want to share their stories with us about their interactions and experiences with child protective services throughout the state of California and throughout the country. And also um, we are one of our goals is to help people um organize to vote, uh to vote in friendly state legislators who are child friendly and who can uh change laws and also vote in and vote out Child friendly and family friendly judges uh, who are friendly with our uh, our family structure and interested in keeping families together uh, before we start our show today, I want to go over the three things that I always mention, and if you have a CPS or a dcf case, dcFS case, it is important for you to uh, number one, get experienced and expert legal help. That may mean working with your court appointed attorney or hiring a private attorney. Um, you can always work with your court appointed attorney and call a private attorney for a second opinion. The second thing you must do is you must get the na- the um, the necessary information um, You can download that information uh, from internet sites internet sites for example, at my website you can download my free ebook which was written for parents and relatives to explain the DCFS and the CPS court process. Uh, you can contact us. We can help you with getting further information. And the the most important way to get information is to have a meeting with your attorney strategize before the court date. I get a lot of calls where, um, Clients or potential clients explain to me that they don't get to talk to their attorney except for the five minutes before they walk into court. That's going to be difficult in most situations um, for you to have a good outcome in court. The third thing that I that I ask that you do is um, register to vote. You have uh, important power in this political system. And unless you're registered to vote, and unless you vote, you cannot exercise that power. And it's going to be hard for you to complain that you're not getting justice when our, within our state system when you have these CPS and DCFS cases. Um, I'm going to get right to the phone right now and take our first call. Area code 650, ending in 05. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis.
2: Oh, okay. Good morning. Um, I've actually, I've actually um, I'm actually, I thought i would call and just listen. I'm actually waiting to listen to my uh, my cousin LaSallea.
1: Okay. Well, I'll yeah. uh, take another call. I'll take okay. another call. By the way, you can listen uh, on through your computer as well at TalkRadioExperts.com. But you can okay. also listen on your phone. You can also listen on your phone. That's no problem. Thank you for listening. Sorry about that. No problem. Okay, I'm going to take another call. Uh, It's area code 516, ending in
3: 09.
2: Hi, my name is is Chu. I'm calling in to share my story about child protective services.
1: Go ahead. Uh, Tell us.
2: Hi, um, yeah, well, um, I had a domestic dispute with my husband at the end of last month and I guess they're required to notify child services and a few days later they showed up to my home, did a few investigative meetings. I I didn't really ever think they would take my children because my home is clean, my kids are happy, I've never had any police to my home ever before and then uh, just a few days ago, on the second of this month, they served me a warrant and removed my, my three children from my home.
1: How old are your children?
2: I have two three-year-old twins and a 15-month-old baby.
1: Oh, my goodness. Um, where are the children now? Are they in foster care or with a relative?
2: Yeah, they sent them to foster care, hours, a foster home hours away from where I, I live, and they're, they've made it difficult for anyone else to, to take my children. And because they took them on the specific date, I was supposed to have a court date on yesterday on Friday, but because of the holidays, I cannot have court until Tuesday. So now I'm waiting a full week instead of the three days to have a chance to get my children back.
1: Yes, the courts were closed yesterday for the holiday, and they're going to close Monday for the holiday. But tell me about, um, when did you say they took the children from you?
2: Tuesday, February
1: 2nd. And when did this alleged incidence of domestic violence happen between you and your uh, spouse?
2: Oh, I'm sorry. They took my kids on the February 9th, the following Tuesday. I'm sorry about that, February 9th. And that happened with my spouse. That was on January 22nd.
1: Okay, so that was a long time in between. Um, Did they actually get a warrant to take your children from you?
2: Yes, they had a warrant.
1: Did you get to see the warrant? Yes. And was there something attached to the warrant called the application for a court order or or application for a warrant? Um, I can look at
2: it and find out. Because
1: that's 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 probably the most important part of the warrant process. It's what the social worker has sworn under penalty of perjury to a judge in order to get an order to detain your children. And in order to detain your children, the social worker has to tell, some, to tell something to the judge that's not only serious, but also an immediate, you know, emergency. Now, after the event of the alleged domestic violence, did your spouse move out of the home? Yes. Did the social worker know that?
2: Yes, I I told her that, but she did not believe me. She called my neighbors and they said they thought they had seen his car here and All of that.
1: Are these friendly neighbors that you have, or you're not really friends with them?
2: Um, We just moved into this house not very long ago, so we don't really know them very well.
1: Okay. So your first court date is Tuesday, right? Yes. Let me give you some information. If you have a pen and paper, you might want to jot this down. Or you can listen to the replay of the show later on today. Um, The first thing that I want you to do Okay, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to make a list of 25 names, addresses and telephone numbers of relatives who could take one or all of your children. Now these are going to have to be friendly relatives. And also list also list their relationship to the child. Under California okay. Welfare and Insti- Under California Welfare and Institutions Code, Section 309, the social worker has to investigate all relatives for possible placement. Now, I want to tell you that the placement or these relatives can be anywhere in the United States. For that matter, they can be anywhere in the world. So you can have children placed in another country, you can have children placed in another state, you can have children placed in another county. So if, for example, I gather by your area code you live in uh, Los Angeles County, if you have relatives in San Bernardino or Riverside or Orange County, they should be on the list. The social worker has a, an obligation to find these uh, relatives, to assess them, and to place children with them immediately. Because being with strangers in foster care is not the best place for children, so I want you to make that list, and I want you to make sure you give it to your attorney at court, or before you. The best thing is you should probably talk to your attorney before court, and um, perhaps on Monday. Monday is a holiday, court holiday, so perhaps you can even meet with your attorney on Monday. Uh, that would be a great thing and you guys can strategize how to get the children back to you or and or how to get the children Plan B to one of these relatives. Does that make sense okay. to you? Yes. Well, I want to thank you for calling uh, in this morning and sharing your story with us. Uh, good luck at your court hearing on Tuesday. Thank you. I just want to mention to all of you... Um, listening that it's important before you go to your first court hearing that you should probably Google and read California Welfare and Institutions Code, Section 319. And also um, review Section 309 and Section, I was just reading Section 316 as well this morning. That's very important for these initial hearings. So remember, Get the necessary information that you need before you go to court. Okay, I'm going to take another call. It's area code three two three, ending in nine zero. Good morning. Good morning, Attorney Vincent Davis. Hi. Good morning, Mr. Davis.
3: My name is My name is Daisy, and I'm calling because I've been dealing with DCFS since uh, October of uh, 2015 and um the I do have my children in my custody at the moment, but uh one of the conditions was that I needed to live with my eldest sibling, and um unfortunately, she sold her house and she's living she moved in with um relatives of hers, and i there's no longer any space available for me and my children to live with her and um so now i moved in with another sister of mine but um dcfs thinks that it is a a danger to my children for me to live with my sister because my ex-husband knows where she lives and um so right now i am i honestly don't know what steps i should take or what is it that I should do in this matter? Okay.
1: So why is DCFS worried that your husband will know where you live and perhaps be a risk to the children at this new sister's house?
3: Okay. So um, my whole case opened because um, my husband um, has um, federal charges against him, And he skipped his bail. And um, so he's he's, um, being looked for by the U.S. Marshals. And um, they're saying that he's involved with a cartel. And um, so they are saying that um, since he's at large, he can come and try and steal my children from me and and take them with him, and since this is a known address, an address that he knows about, that um, they would not want me living here.
1: I see. Um, so let me give you some advice. Now, the social workers know that your, where you were living, that sister sold the house, Correct. Correct. And you've informed them that you've moved in with another sister with the children.
3: I have have not yet called the social worker because um, we actually thought we had until the end of the month to move out of that house, but um, they were told that they needed to be out. Today was the last day they could have any of their belongings in the home, and so I haven't yet notified my social worker that's um, assigned to my case to let her know that I'm moving back with my sister in Montebello.
1: Okay. So when you notify the sister, excuse me, when you notify the social worker, um, make sure that you tell her where you are you're back with the sister. And make sure you tell the social worker why you moved. Now, you might want to do this. You might want to do this via email. And by the way, today's Saturday. I don't think the social worker is working today or tomorrow or Monday, because Monday is a holiday. So she okay. probably won't get this information until Tuesday. But I'm going to tell you what you should do. Okay. And uh, I'm glad you called in because this has brought up an issue that I haven't thought about for a long time, but it is the law of California. In California, juvenile dependency proceedings are governed by something called the California Welfare and Institutions Code. And... um in that code, we mainly deal with sections 300 to 390. Um, but there are a lot of other sections in the Welfare and Institutions Code that apply to juvenile dependency cases. For example, there's a lot of um, things in sections, the 200 section. But the section that covers your uh, situation, I believe, are the 16,500 etc. sections. And um, in certain cases, uh, the Department of Children and Family Services, as is all social workers throughout the state, and I believe probably throughout the country, but I don't know because I'm not like in any other state but California. In California, they require um, the social workers in the counties to give you something called family reunification services and family maintenance services. Those are services designed to keep your family together. Now, most people, and in most cases, those services um, mean services like parenting classes, counseling for the uh, for the parent, counseling for the children, anger management classes, drug rehabilitation classes, and drug testing. All of those are your typical. Um, family reunification and family maintenance services. But but there are other services. And one of those services that I've successfully argued in at least one case was that the social workers and the county provide you with housing. So let me tell you the case. And this happened years ago. Um, I represented a woman who allegedly was on drugs, and she had five children. Uh well, she lost her children and the the children were placed in five different foster homes. And um during the 6-month review process this woman was a star. She had done all of her reunification services. And when we came up to the 6-month review, uh the social worker said, you know, I would give her the kids back, but she doesn't have a place to live. You see, what happened in the interim when she lost her children, she lost her public housing uh, through the city of Los Angeles. And uh, I think she had Section 8 housing. And because she didn't have the children, she lost that Section 8 housing. So basically, she was living with friends on couches, but she had participated in all of her programs. So the only thing that was holding her back was she didn't have a place for these children to live. So I thought... And, and the case was in front of a judge who tended to be fiscally conservative. And I thought about the best way to try to turn that around. And I found out that the children being placed in these foster homes was in you know, approximately nine or ten thousand dollars a month. Nine or ten thousand dollars a month. The county, the county, was paying for these this lady's children to be in foster care. So. I made an argument. I actually wrote a formal motion um, for the county. Instead of paying $10,000 a month in foster care, I wrote a motion that they should give the lady, you know, $1,500 or $2,000 to get an apartment for the children. The county would save money, right? Well, after many continuances by the county, they uh, finally agreed. They didn't want the judge to, to grant my motion, So I withdrew the motion. Um, I I guess they wanted to say face or didn't want to set a precedence. But they finally gave this woman an apartment, like a three-bedroom apartment, I think. And they paid for it. And then on top of that, all of a sudden, they found this extra money to buy her furniture and appliances. So she eventually, she got her children back because she had a home. And the county and the state and federal government saved money because instead of, you know, warehousing these children in five different foster homes, they put all the children and the mother together in an apartment, which they pay for, and it saved the county money. So in your particular situation, I suggest that you and your attorney tell the social workers, hey, if you don't want me living here, that's fine. Find me a place to live. Because under the code 16,500 sections, you're responsible to do that. Okay. I bet I bet that when they hear that and they talk to their attorney about it, they're going to say, oh, you know, your sister's not so bad. If your husband shows up, don't forget to call us. So that's what okay. I suggest for your particular case when you speak with your attorney. I want to thank you for calling in. Please uh, listen to us next week on Saturday at 8 a.m., all right?
3: Thank you very much, Mr. Davis, for all your assistance. Thank you.
1: You know, I I hadn't thought about that in a while, uh, that uh, getting the county to help pay for the client's uh, housing, because sometimes... uh, the clients do need housing in order to get their children or to keep their children back, just as this woman uh, needed. Now I'm going to uh, getting a lot of calls this morning, so I'm going to take another call. Um, it's area code eight one six, ending in three three. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis.
4: Hey. Good morning, Mr. Davis. Hi. My name
2: is Rose.
4: <laughs> my name is Rosemary, and I'm calling in regards to a niece of mine that's in foster care in San Francisco. Okay. What's going on there? Well, um oh my gosh, it's such a long and very disheartening um journey so far. Um but I had expressed Interest as well as my desire to take placements for adoption of my niece when she was taken into custody. Um, The agency knew about me because I also have placement for adoption of her brother as well as her three older sisters. Um, They were telling me that, oh, don't worry, like it has to go through a process, and plus I live out of state, so I have to go through the ICPC. Um, And so I was kind of just – you know just leaning on what they were saying just having faith that everything was going to work out um when i had visited with the baby for the first time when i went to california to pick up her brother i had met the baby and met the foster parent um and it was pretty clear for me at that at that visit that they were wanting to adopt this baby they they thought that you know that's the route that it was going so i expressed those concerns to the agency, and again, they reassured me, no, don't worry about anything, everything's going to you know, be fine, we're going to check you out first, and so time went on, so from March until July, a call from the adoption worker, so it's the same adoption worker for the brother as well as the, the baby sister, stating that she was going to initiate the ICPC process, so that was done, completed in September, San Francisco didn't receive it until October, And they then told me that, you know, they were recommending placement with me, but that now the foster parents have already filed something with the courts, already obtained a certain status and have an attorney. Um, And then I was kind of, you know, just told, you know, don't worry. We were recommending placement. And then this past week, Tuesday I receive a call from the agency as well as the attorney stating that they were going to change the recommendation because it just seems everything that they're receiving from the other side, it just makes more sense and it's just better for everyone and less damaging to just leave the baby there. So we weren't going to go to court to, you know, to have, to recommend that placement. Um And so because I'm not a party to the case, that's, you know, just made everything that much more uh, difficult and heartbreaking.
1: So they led you to believe all this time that they were going to place the child with you and then change their mind?
3: Yes,
4: I believe so. I mean, really... Vincent I'm I'm going to be really honest I mean the flags were there and I expressed all those concerns to them and I've always been in touch with them just in regards to the baby's case inquiring about court hearings how can I be involved what do I need to do and just told no don't worry don't worry and then you know I was told that I was going to have placement and I I myself don't understand except for the fact that, you know, for them, it's just what would be more convenient instead of having to go to court. But it's very possible that maybe they had their own hidden agenda from the beginning, but just kind of just making it appear as though they were working towards having this baby with her blood family and with her siblings. Well, that's
1: the law. You know, that's what makes part of these proceedings constitutional um, is that that if the parents can't have the children, the children must be placed or should be placed with um, relatives. And that's, you know, throughout the code, throughout the Welfare and Institutions Code. Um, It's very clear. You know, what happens is, and somebody gave me an opinion, another attorney told me this, and I I think... um, I think it's true. I, I I think social workers have an in, I don't know, uh, their prejudice against people who are, live out of this county or out of the state. That's what it seems like to me. And I think the reason for part of it is, you know, this whole CPS process is um, is is revenue generating for the counties. And this attorney told me, and I think it's true the money follows the child, so if they send the child back to you out of state no more, no no more money for San Francisco regarding this child. Now, your case sounds very much like a case I did a couple of years uh, maybe eighteen months ago in riverside, and this is the story and and i it it still boggles my mind when i when I think about this case. A woman came to California and settled in the Palm Springs area. Um, She and her boyfriend, they had a baby. They were involved in drugs. At the very first hearing, the mother's first cousin flew from Oklahoma to Los Angeles, drove down to Palm Springs, and appeared at the first hearing. And I think she and her husband appeared at this hearing. Um, The husband was a principal at a school in Oklahoma, and the, the wife, the first cousin, was a very successful businesswoman, um, and uh, they were told at the very first hearing that the child would be placed with them. Well, the case drags on and drags on, and then they get to the point where they terminate the parental rights of the child. And the child is still not placed with the relatives in Oklahoma. They, there was something called an ICPC, which is called the Interstate Compact for the Placement of Children, that had right. to be accomplished. That had to be accomplished, and for whatever reason, Oklahoma, California, they kept pointing the finger at each other. They never got this ICPC completed. Now the important thing was nobody ever asked for an expedited ICPC, which is different from an ICPC. An expedited ICPC has to be finished and completed within 30 days by statute. So um social workers, you know, in all states run around and they make sure that these expedited ICPCs are completed. But on the regular ICPCs, for some reason, you know, they get lost on people's desks. Um, it just drags along, you know, never gets completed. And what happened was, um, after the parental rights were terminated, the ICPC was approved for the Oklahoma relatives. Now, there's something that you have to understand in California right now. It's my opinion that, um, after the parental rights have been terminated, the relative press preference for placement seems to disappear. And I think that's a loophole in the the law. And a lot of people who are pro-foster parent and pro-child argue that that preference should disappear because now the child has been physically and emotionally bonded to the foster parent. And by the way, in some cases that may be true. In some cases it's not true because the child keeps moving around, you know, to different foster homes. But what makes this whole system legal? And as the Supreme Court said, the Supreme Court of the United States said many years ago in a case, the family is the fabric of our society, and if we don't respect those familial relationships, there's going to be a breakdown in society. And I see that happening all the time yes. in, these case, in these types of cases. In these types of cases. So. The thing that you have to do is you have to file several things with the juvenile court. Um, you have to file a de facto parent motion. You have to, fi- and by the way, people will say, well, you're not entitled to file that because you never were the caretaker. But
0: right. You can,
1: get, you can get standing under a case in California called Enray Charles S., and that basically says you can have standing in the case if you're a relative and you've shown an interest in this child. Now you're telling me that you showed up or you told from the social workers from the very beginning, "Hey, right. I want this child." So you, yes. you've, in my opinion, you you rep, you meet that requirement. The other thing that you have to file is something called a 388 petition, and that's to change the order. You have to prove and show that it would be best for this child to be with family. The next thing you have to file is you have to file something called an eight twenty seven petition. You have to file that so that you can get access to the evidence to the courts and records, the social workers' reports about this child now the fact you know I found it amazing. You said you had siblings of this child already placed with you by San Francisco. yeah
4: no so, That's incredible. Oh, it's been a long It's been a long story with these kiddos. <laughs> I love them and it's been a, a a really um great learning experience. But um the three older sisters are actually from another county and we're actually you know, we're we're pretty close to finalizing their adoptions after almost seven years. <laughs> but oh, uh, we're oh, wow. we're glad we're very happy where we're at. But um yeah, so they're in another county and then I have the baby brother who was in a similar situation to the baby um, where he was born and then taken into custody because my cousin had abandoned him as well at the hospital. So the the, the agency's known about me. You know they've known our my you know family dynamics and that the siblings uh, were here. They've known about me and and they've known that I've expressed time and time again, not only through phone conversations but through email correspondence, that I was willing and able and willing. To do whatever it took to not just keep the child with family, but also to be raised with her siblings, considering the circumstances that at least, at the very least, if they didn't have their biological parents, that they were with a loving and caring family member, and they'd be able to, you know, live within the culture as well as, to you know, all their other family members and be with her siblings. You know, and, the, and they the other it two along
1: I wanted, to ma- that's all right. I wanted to mention that there's two other things that you should probably do as well. A lot of attorneys, a lot of juvenile judges will disagree with me on this, but I maintain my position. You should also file a petition for temporary and a petition for permanent legal guardianship of the child. Um, there are reasons to do that involving best interests and leverage, but I won't get into that. I just suffice it to say... I think those should be filed. Now, let me, you know, that that case I told you about Riverside with the relatives from Oklahoma. When we had the trial to have the child placed with the relatives, the judge ruled that it was too late for the relatives to get the child. And the judge acknowledged that it was through no fault of the relatives, but that the social workers, and he, you know, mentioned, I think, Riverside as well as Oklahoma, had dropped the ball and um, insinuated that the relatives would have a you know a big lawsuit against the county of Riverside and the social workers and perhaps even Oklahoma. So in your particular case, if you know if they knew about you and they knew about these siblings, the group of you may have a huge lawsuit against the social workers in, in the county and city of uh, San Francisco because they should have placed this child with you. You know, there's, I get the feeling in a lot of cases that social workers become beholden to foster parents because in a lot of cases, foster parents do provide, um, you know, a great service to the community. Uh, they take in children when, you know, there's no one else around to take them. But sometimes that beholdenness, if you will, gets a little skewed because foster parents are supposed to take children where there's no parents or family to take the children. Now, in your case, not only are you um, family and you can take the child, but you have other siblings of the child. So exactly. that's, this is that situation that um, kind of gets askew and you wonder why. Well, what was the incentive for the foster parent never to place the child with you? I mean, at the very beginning, they should have told those foster parents, look, this is going to be a temporary thing, you know, if you don't want to take the child permanently or if you know that we're not going to give you this child permanently because we have this lady in another state who has siblings, maybe they wouldn't have gotten uh, attached. Maybe they wouldn't have gone to court and gotten standing. Maybe they would have said no and let the child go to another foster parent. Because I heard, heard you in your story. They've already made a motion for standing, and they have standing in the court. So they're fighting to keep your relative child right. away from you. Now, right. I want to tell you just brief, just briefly, many years ago, um, uh, I was working with an attorney, and we had come up with a theory, a theory that you could sue, po- sue mm-hmm. po- foster parents who do this. Because one of the things when you basically, as a foster parent, you take an oath, you know, to help reunify the child with the parent or family. And here they are, you know, rushing in to adopt this child away from the family. In my opinion, and a lot of people will disagree with me, but in my opinion, that's just not right. And it's anti-family. It's anti-family. It's not right, and I think you know we should try to vote in and change some laws in California that uh, would prevent this situation from happening. You know, I want to thank you for calling in and sharing your story. Um, But I have to move on to. I have to move on to our next call, and good luck to you.
4: Okay. Thank you.
1: Okay. Um, I'm going to take some other calls right now, but before that I do that, I want to explain something, because I got a few emails about this. Before a case is filed in the juvenile court, usually what happens is that a social worker comes and speaks to you. Now, I want you to remember something. Social workers are professionals, and they are Know what they're doing, they know how to get what they want. But I want to tell you what your rights are. So, number one, you don't have to talk to a social worker if you're a parent. Number two, you don't have to do a drug test for a social worker if you're a parent. So, at the beginning of the case, or before a case is even filed, if a social worker comes to your home, My advice to you, in most situations, perhaps not all, but most situations, don't talk to the social worker and surely don't talk to the social worker without an attorney being present. Now, social workers may ask to see you and talk to your children. In most cases, I advise against that as well. Now, a social worker can go get a warrant, And the warrant can allow the social worker to come to your home, to come into your home, inspect your home, and talk to your children and inspect your children. That's not a warrant to talk to you. It's not a warrant to make you do parenting classes. It's not a warrant to make you do drug testing. It's not a warrant to get you uh, to have your husband move out of the house. Okay? They can't do that. Now, they can threaten to take away your children, but in most, not I won't say in most cases, in a lot of cases, social workers get warrants and they don't give out the application for the warrant. I just had one client tell me, oh, the social worker said she didn't, have, I didn't have to, she didn't have to give the client the application for the warrant. Well, the application for the warrant is the story the social worker told the judge in order to get that warrant. And it's signed by the social worker under penalty of perjury. In my experience, when I see these applications for warrants, they contain untruths. They contain exaggerations. And I, you know, suffice it to say, well, I'll go out on the limb and say some of them just outright lie. So you want to make sure you get that application for warrant, and you want to make sure that your attorney, if you end up in court, uh, gets that application for warrant so that you can see it and read it, because if the social worker had exaggerated or lied or not told the truth or twisted some facts, that social worker and that county may be subject to civil liability. You might be able to sue for violations of your civil rights, and unless you do that, and unless everyone does that and holds these social workers accountable, they're going to continue doing what they do. So even if the social worker tells you, you have to talk to me, you have to let me in your house, if they don't have a warrant, they can't come in your house, and they can never get a warrant to make you talk to them. There is nothing in the law that requires you to talk to the social worker. Now, a lot of social workers will tell clients or imply to clients, hey, if you don't talk to me, I'm going to tell the judge that you're uncooperative. In my opinion, there's nothing in the law that requires it, but I will acknowledge that a lot of judges may be swayed by the fact that you won't talk to a social worker. They might look at it as being in a cooperative, but on a scale of one to 10, I consider that a five. If you talk to the social worker and the social worker gets evidence against you because you thought you were smart enough to talk your way out of the situation, don't forget you're dealing with a professional that social worker is going to gather a lot of information, some true, some may be exaggerated. Who knows? But it's going to be evidence used against you in a court case down the road. So remember that. It's the same thing you see on tight TV, criminal defendant being interviewed by the uh, police. There's an old term, lawyer up. Don't talk to the police and in these cases don't talk to the social workers. Now, is that an absolute rule? No, of course not. There may be some situations where it may be to your advantage to speak to the social worker, but you won't know that. Consult an attorney. You know, get a free consultation from an attorney that does this type of work. You know, and you know, call me, ask me, tell me the situation that you're in. Okay, I'm going to take another call from a uh, caller. Hello, you're on with Attorney Vincent Davis, and get your kids back now. Hello? Hello? Hi, Hello? Hi, this is Attorney Vincent... Yes, this is Attorney Vincent Davis. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear, and so okay, can our great, listeners.
0: Okay, great, I didn't recognize that yeah. <laughs> but I'd called two weeks ago and I met you, and... Uh, this is um this is Bob and uh, and uh, Terry. And uh we've been in a nightmare in the last two weeks even we got so bad that uh we've been unable to really um uh do too much. Um um I was starting to explain to you about my story the be- beginning and um and um we didn't get a chance to finish because I came on kinda of late. Um where do you where do you want me to start or?
1: Okay, uh, Bob. Start from the beginning.
0: Okay, um, we are we are a loving couple. We've been together for twenty six years, and uh, we have three older children that have grown up and so forth. They have three younger children. Unfortunately, I had uh, been working for forty five years, and uh, it started with the two thousand seven with the uh, collapse of the banks, and then it kind of went a domino effect. And I was doing work for the state of California, doing roads and highways, and. Um, I had contracts with them, public works contracts with them, and um they wrote me an uh, IOU for all this contract work and I couldn't get a credit line to get the job started so I had to close the the uh the company and for the first time in my life um I was without work. I'd start I started working my life at fifteen, I've always been a provider and I've always paid my bills never had any trouble with not paying my bills. And the first year and a half was okay, and, but the kids and the family, and including my wife, it was hard on her, that I had to stop the allowances, had to stop the Disneyland passes, all these things that we have, you know, and we live in a really nice and affluent uh, neighborhood. And um, in a year and a half, I just couldn't keep paying the mortgage. The mortgage was the first thing they hit. Now, I did have some money that I wanted to invest in the business, and I thought it would work, and... I invested about 55000 and, of course, I found out later that that uh, I got had. And so my first time investment, I was trying to make ends meet. So I have been looking for work, and it's really hard because of my age, um, because they don't say they don't discriminate, but they do, in effect, because I don't look my age, I don't feel my age, but um, they take age as as a factor. And so um i was really struggling you know was struggling with with finances and suddenly now we're into uh... a poverty or sorry get a lot of poverty and i have three younger younger children um... and uh... they're all in uh, excellent schools and um you know uh... Some of my children were experiencing the bullying problems and one of them really had it really excessive where um... she just didn't want to go to school and um what would happen is that people report in our neighborhood if your car is not painted or things are kind of weathered down you get reported right away i mean it's a sad state of affairs but people tend to want to mender in other people's business but they would uh report things that they suppose the kids weren't getting bathed or there was no electricity in the house and all these things and a lot of them were coming um unfounded but also i'm sad to say that me and my wife we get a lot of arguments, and we would argue for the kids, and that's not right. And I regret it now, at the same time my dad was passed away or dying and had to deal with his death. And uh, I was dealing with the death of my dogs and a lot of other tragedies. And it keep going around. I couldn't get work even at a place, McDonald's. They said, Well, you're going to leave us. We don't want to hire you or spend the money pay it. And you had to start at the bottom, you know. And so. Um, it was really really kinda of hard. Well, this last time um social service came out on a Wednesday and uh when they came out on Wednesday we weren't at home, but because they saw three cars parked in their driveway and of course our yard we had not been paying the water bill, so our yard was kinda of dead looking, so that didn't uh that didn't really add to things. They tried to look in, they saw some boxes of my dad's belongings and some of my dad's furniture were stored in the back under tarps and And so forth, because I just didn't have the room, and I uh, didn't have the funds to um have stories, so we weren't there. they called the police, and the police i guess tried to get in, and again, we weren't there so um, I'd got wind that our kids were talked to at school, and I tried to find out who it was, no one tell me who it was and I had to go out the food chain to the director of uh c f s and uh when I finally you know got that office they provided me uh, with the number of the social worker, so I called the social worker. And they, in turn, um, um, returned a phone call, and they wanted Sis to come out right away. I said, well, can we make an appointment for possibly Friday? I said, no, we have to be out there uh, Thursday. And uh, I said, well, my wife has some appointment. It's really important for her and so forth. So um, I was leading to her to get back, and, of course, she didn't. So on day Thursday... I proceed to pick up my children like I always do, and um, and this is a good time for me in one respect because I can bond to them. When I worked 60 hours a week, you know, Monday through Friday, I was never seeing the family as much, but the money was nice to them. And they like that part. So anyway, I'm picking up my son. Um, one son is at at, at a private school. Um, rides the bus to a pickup point. The um, the other daughter is at a middle school and my youngest is at the, at the elementary school. So he's the first one picked up. So when I picked him up, um, you know, I proceeded to go get mom because mom was downtown, uh, on a, on an errand needed to be picked up. We only had one car that was operational. And so, um, I proceeded to go down I went for almost like a 15 minute drive. Unbeknownst to me, there was a, a detective in an unmarked car following me. And, uh, by the time I got close to where I was supposed to pick up mom, a black and white pulled me over and he started saying, Well, there's some violations. I said, Well, which ones? Well, wait a minute. And all of a sudden, of course, the detective walks up and uh, he's introduced who he was. He said he insisted me to go back to the house. They had to see the house uh, and wouldn't be very, as being very not transparent or deceptive, to know what I was, wouldn't really explain anything. And of course, my little boy who's 10 is kind of terrified and. And so I said, well, can I get mom? Because mom needs to be there. She said, oh, no, you can't get mom. So mom, of course, stayed for four hours at this place, didn't know what was going on or anything like that. Again, we, um, you know, had cut back our cell phones, and, and, you know, we didn't have really the communication that we would normally have. And so i come back to the place, and there was the fire department, code enforcement. There was a total of 19 people at my house. Like, I did something terribly wrong. And... uh at the same time, I'm trying to interview with the social workers. The police are asking questions. Fire is asking questions, and so they they come in. They come into the house, and you know there is the furniture. My dad's there is walkways. They insist they couldn't get around, but how could 19 people go up and down stairs and go to bedrooms if they couldn't get around? And they're checking the smoke alarms. They're really uh, look like they're on a hunt for something and asking about weapons and stuff like that. Meanwhile, my uh, wife is worried to death, didn't know what's going on, and the other children, normally picked up by my dad, are wondering uh, they're being picked up by social services or the police. I don't know who picked them up, and everybody's being uh, so we're talking along, and and they're saying you know you can't have things is danger to the the kids, and I said well the kids have showers, they own the meter box running, I, said, I have utility bills, and uh, they were definitely saying well we're going to take it out because it's unsafe for uh, them. And uh, so, uh, the the uh, my littlest one who was by me was you know tearfully taken from me and hauled away like I had committed some big crime. They didn't really tell me specifically what I was charged with. I wasn't charged. I was not arrested or anything. And everybody uh, 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 left. And uh, they told me the kids were going to Orangewood, and this is in Orange County. And so I went and got the wife, and immediately we arranged to see our children later that that day. Uh, we didn't have the funds for an attorney, and we were just kind of overwhelmed, both of us. And and uh, so we later found out that they were taken, and uh, um, social services then had a meeting. Uh, the next day, I think it's Friday, uh, about where the place the kids and they were trying to conduct an interview during the meeting with my wife, which was stupid because she was just terrified. I mean, she was just that's the wrong place to do it. There's a lot of a very lack of transparency, a lot of deception and a lot of toys that are coming up with things and the next thing they're doing I guess they had talked to my daughter who alleged I had done inappropriate uh, uh sexual behaviors. That's where they're trying to use the word sex or trying to blow something out and um, we weren't, you know, we're not alcoholics, we don't drink, uh, we don't do drugs, we, we never had any trouble with, with the law or anything, and so they put them in Orangewood for a couple days, and we're trying to get them relocated, because they didn't want to return to the house, because they felt the house was unsafe, I mean, uh, there was nothing that, uh, in our opinion, it was cluttered, yes, and uh, it was definitely stacked of furnitures and so forth, but the rooms, they remarked, well, the rooms are clean where the kids stay, and there is food and you know there is power and electricity and everything. I said, well, social service has been out before and they never really say anything about my parents' belongings, and so it kind of left you a false sense of security. It's like you're driving at you know fifty-six miles an hour on a fifty-mile an hour uh, roadway, and then one day the cop pulls you over and going one mile over the speed limit. Um, so we are just trying to follow the uh, what they want, and we got to go with our with my uh, w- uh, wife's. Um, sister and her husband and they were temporarily put into their care which was good because we're trying to keep them out of orangewood there was a beehive over there my kids were telling me some horror stories and i've heard some horror stories at orangewood where the kids uh, even boys have been raped there and so forth by the workers and it's like you know it's really interesting when you get into the cfs system the majority of the people have uh, all kinds of issues themselves If you look at them they don't look very professional they're and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, all due respect, because it is a job, but uh, it's kind of like they got the low end of the spectrum of people that don't have values that are in there for whatever reason they are. It's just that, you know, you, you have sort of the worst taking care of the, 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 the other people. But um, without no money, without no finances, we are just, oh, we're just riding buses. and And so we're in the system, and the system is very, uh, deception. I mean, they're saying, oh, our goal is the word reunification. Well, they say the word, but they don't practice it because for nine months, the first social worker, um, uh, well, I should say one of many social workers, but the one that was handling her case after the course, and we, uh, my, my blood is, is Native American. I'm a Lakota Sioux. Uh, I'm one third Lakota Sioux because my great grand grandmother is a full blooded Lakota Sioux. And, um, you know there's things i didn't know about being a native american that um that i have rights that have been uh, violated and uh so we're going along with the system kind of learning as you go we're trying to, to get help and of course they give you defense attorneys which are got so many cases it's it's pointless dealing with, with them because they don't care i mean it's like i call them up and say should we meet to talk about this issue so we had the first you know court case another court case and you had the 6 months and at December, that was supposed to be the reunification. And they say, oh, no, no, it's just a checkup time because you got 18 months. I said, I know I got 18 months. They keep sending you a letter, certified mail, make it very difficult to go and sign for it. And you have to say that you know you're aware that They'll take away your rights 18 months. And I said, why are we making such a big case out of this whole thing? I mean, don't you know how horrible you've done things? And it's like they just go over and over. I said, look, I admit I've done some things wrong, but I'm not going to admit things are not true because. The kids are being coached. They're being coached by family members. Mom and dad are pitted against each other. Mom and dad are struggling. Of course, mom walked away after the first day of court and went to a shelter and uh, stayed away, but then she found out that wasn't working, came back home, lived with dad. We've been trying to work on a relationship, but it's been so hard. It's like our visits, the rules change. You know, see, when you're in the system, the rules change. So what happens is that is that you as you go into um the uh, system they make one rule and then a month later they change it. It's like we used to have be able to visit them at the home that they're temporary at, um, and uh, and then they took away that right. And then the princes we used to have multiple locations. The last thing was the last two weeks they now say that we have to go at their location they pick, and the kids are getting tired of it. The kids are saying well, you don't want to visit with mom and dad. What they're trying to do is they're trying to drive our kids. They're trying. To, it looks like. Their agenda isn't what they're saying. And so we had this court case on the 21st. Then our attorneys tell us a week before, oh, we're going to be on vacation, and so we can't do anything. I said, what do you mean? And then they postpone it to uh, February, and then we show up on February. I mean, the day before February, I'm trying to talk to my attorney, who I asked for two months, can we talk ahead? And she says that, uh, oh, well, uh, this is the hearing. I said, well, is this the hearing? We have to be prepared for it. Well, funny, on the day of the hearing she gets a bad sickness and doesn't show up, so they cancel that. So now we move to uh March first. And so sir, we're supposed sir? To, Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sir
1: I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I'm gonna to have to cut you off again.
0: Yeah. We're running yeah. out
1: of time. We only have a couple minutes left in the show.
0: But I yeah, invite I, you
1: to call back next week. Next week. Gosh. But call early call earlier in their show so you'll be early uh you know, you'll be in front of the call log. All right.
0: Yeah, I, I called it I called at eight, 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 8 o'clock, but uh, I need to talk to you. It's really I tried to put a call into you on Friday, and um, I can call you later today or tomorrow, but we need to talk and i I think I got what you need and so i just need, okay well i need,
1: call call me today uh I'll be yeah. at the office later this afternoon, thank you, sir, all right, thank you. I'm sorry I had to cut him off, but there are some things. We only have a couple minutes left in the show. Number one, um, remember get experienced and expert legal help. Work with your attorney, be it a private attorney or court-appointed attorney. Call us if you want a second opinion. Number two, get the necessary information that you need. Go to my website, download my free ebook. Um, The other thing that you can consider is you can consider coming to our uh, February February 27th live seminar. Uh, This month the seminar is going to be in Arcadia. Um, I have been asked by people to have that seminar be put on a webinar as well. We're working on it. I don't think we'll have that done by uh, this February. You can also listen to all of our past radio shows at talkradioexperts.com. Finally, vote. Remember to vote. Remember to uh, elect family-friendly state legislatures, family-friendly judges. Uh, Your vote is important. We can represent you in these cases on a private basis. You can call us and talk to us about that. We can represent you on these matters will not represent you on these matters, but we can give you advice. Uh, You can call us and ask us about that. In some situations, I can even write a memo or a letter for you to read and for you to share with your, your attorney to give additional ideas. But whoever your attorney is, make sure that you listen to them. Make sure you take their advice because their advice is better than you trying to figure out things for yourself. Please listen to us next week, Saturday, 8 a.m., and I'll see you on the radio.